and how appropriate that it is the week of Thanksgiving. And this is, this friends, is a distinctly Christian holiday because we don't just generally give thanks. We don't thank our lucky stars. We don't thank the universe. We don't just send thanks out into the infinite nothingness. No, we direct our thanks towards a person. Our thanks goes from us out and lands in a specific place, and that is the Lord God, the creator and sustainer of the universe. This is especially true for those of us who have trusted in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and have found God the Father with open arms welcoming us into his family, into his presence, because of what his son Jesus has done. We learn in John 3, verse 16, that the Father so loved the world, and we all at one time were world, that he gave his only son Jesus, so that whoever believes on Jesus, whoever trusts on Jesus, whoever gives themselves fully to Jesus will not perish, will not be under God's punishment for sin, which is righteous and just, but will have eternal life. And for those of us who have trusted in Jesus, we especially have much to be thankful for. This message tonight uh, is going to be a bit unique. Normally at Eternal City Church, what we do is go through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We just finished the book of Ecclesiastes, 12 chapters long. Uh, All those messages are up online. If you feel so inclined to go to eternalcity.org, you can listen through the whole book of Ecclesiastes. Tonight is a specific and special message having to do with giving thanks, having to do with giving thanks. It's called developing a thankful heart. Your heart is the center of your being. When the Bible speaks about loving God with all your heart, it's talking about the core of your being, the essence of you, the deepest you that there is, the center of your mind, emotions, and will, the motivation factory, if you will. This is your heart. And so we want to develop, if we don't have one already, a thankful heart, a heart that overflows with thanksgiving, not just one day a year, no, but every single day to the Lord our God. We're going to look at this in three quick points, and under two of our points, there will be five points and then three, and that might scare some of you, but we're going to move fast, okay? Number one, we're going to look at the biblical demand for thankfulness. Number two, five snares to thankfulness. And number three, God-centered reasons for thankfulness. Let's start with number one, the biblical demand of thankfulness. Now, the word thankful literally and simply means feeling or expressing gratitude. Feeling or expressing gratitude. It's appreciative. You feel grateful. You feel appreciative. Synonyms that describe thankfulness are this contented, satisfied, grateful, pleased, relieved, indebted. So I wonder how many of you tonight have this overwhelming, sort of filling you up to overflowing sense of contentedness, sense of satisfaction, sense of fullness, sense of gratefulness or being pleased with the life that you're living. 
feeling relieved or indebted or appreciative. I wonder if that would describe any of you. I wonder. We live in a world where it is really, really hard to be thankful. The advertising bombards us daily, even on our social media feeds and Instagram feeds and Twitter. We're just constantly getting bombarded with advertising that says, what you have is not good enough, not bad enough, not fast enough, not strong enough. You need bigger, badder, faster, stronger. That's what you need. And so the whole advertising world that we breathe and live in, the air, is full of discontentedness because that's how you purchase. Because if you're not satisfied with what you have, you'll want something more. And so, you know, I'm not against capitalism, okay? I'm not against free markets. However, it's insidious that our advertising culture breeds discontent. Discontent, okay? So I get it that it's hard to be satisfied and full. And then in addition, man, you guys all have social media. And so social media is, is a very great hindrance to being thankful, right? Because you get to see where everyone's eating out and you get to see where everyone goes on vacation. And if someone just when shopping, they post all their stuff they bought and, and you know, how great my new, you know, app is and, and, well, I can't afford that monthly fee for that app. And so it just breeds this ungrateful, dissatisfiedness. And so I get it. I get that it's hard to be thankful, but we need to be about developing a thankful heart. Here's some biblical demands for thankfulness. Thankfulness is not optional if you call yourself a Christian. Thankfulness is not optional if you call yourself a Christian. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, this is the end of the letter to the church at Thessalonica, and Paul, who wrote this letter, is just firing off commands before he signs off. Now look at these three. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all all circumstances. Now, you could say in all circumstances this way. It could be translated this way. In everything, whatever happens, in all things, or every circumstance. Listen, that includes the bad things. That includes the things that you would raise your fist to the heavens and say, God, how could you, how dare you? And I know that if you don't do that physically, some of your hearts do it. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, that is impossible (laughs) unless you have a power enabling you to do so and you have a correct biblical understanding of how even the bad and terrible calamitous tragedies work for your ultimate good. And we'll look at that in a moment. But I want you to see here that, look, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So if you're united to Jesus Christ, if you've believed on him for the forgiveness of your sins, then you are united to Jesus. You are in Christ. And listen, many of us ask the question, God, what is your will? God, what do you want from me? What would you have me to do? Here it is in plain biblical clarity. What you should do, what God's will is for you is this. You should be always rejoicing. 
You should be praying without ceasing. And I don't think that means that, you know, you have to pray unending prayers even while you're sleeping. What that means is your heart is open to God all the time. You're ready to receive communication from him, and you're ready to give up communication to him. You, you have an open dialogue with God that is unending without ceasing, and you are to be a thankful person, filled to overflowing with thankfulness. This is God's will. Now, the Psalms are full of admonitions to be thankful, and we would be here all night. So we're just going to look at just a few. Psalm 107.1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, there's a reason there for, well, there's two, actually, for thanksgiving. One, he's good. Our God is not an evil deity. Our God is not uh, a deity that is bent on destroying you and, and, and people in general. No, he is good. And for those whom his love has landed on, friends, his love endures forever. It's unending, unchanging, won't be revoked, can't be revoked. His love endures. And if his love is on you through Jesus Christ, it will not and so we give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he's good and his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 136, 1 to 3 and 26. Give thanks to the Lord. Here it is again. For he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of small g gods. Meaning anyone that would set themselves up against this capital G God. Small if we could even compare. The gods of the nations are but demons, Paul says to the Corinthians. Give thanks to the God of small g gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of small l lords. Lord means ruler, authority. The great high ruler, the most high, ruling over all smaller, lowercase lords or rulers. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords for his steadfast love endures forever. And the psalm closes like this. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. You see, God's love is not based on circumstances or your performance. Rather, God's love for you is based on the performance of another, namely his son, Jesus Christ. You see, the good news for Christians is that it's not about you. It's not about how you're doing. It's about how Jesus did already in your place. And that's good news. And because Jesus already accomplished all that God demanded and commanded of you, he gives you that fulfillment as a gift. Jesus himself said, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it, to fill it full, to complete it. And on the cross, as he was dying a substitutionary death in the place of you and I and all those who would ever trust in him, he said, it is finished. It's completed. It's fulfilled. I accomplished the mission. And now his steadfast, unchanging love can endure forever for you and me. And it's not based on the performance of you and me. That's good news, friends. We'll stop there. 
Let's move quickly to number two. So there's just some quick biblical demands for thankfulness. And and we could spend the whole time just in point one because the Bible is filled with commands to be thankful. It's not an option, especially if you would call yourself a Christian. Now, let's look at five snares to thankfulness. Five snares to thankfulness. We could come up with a hundred snares, but we don't have time. So five is sufficient for this evening. Number one, greed. Are you greedy? Greed is selfish hoarding or always wanting more. You you stingily hold back and refuse to release and gift. Or you're not happy with what you have and you just want more and more and more. I'll have another and another and another and another. You're greedy. And, and the Bible has a lot to say about greed, okay? It's not good for you or for anyone else, and it is most definitely a snare to thankfulness. Number two, which is three in one, because these are, are very nuancedly connected to each other, envy, jealousy, and covetousness. Envy, jealousy, and covetousness. You know, these all have this flavor. You look at something someone else has, and you want it, and you desire it, and you're a little bit upset or maybe really upset that they have it and you don't. You're you're not happy with your life, and you look at someone else's life in totality, and you are dissatisfied with yours, and you are envying their life, coveting their life, and you are jealous that they have what you want. God, how dare you? This is a great snare to thankfulness. In fact, Exodus 20, 17, this is the Ten Commandments. It's the tenth. Here it goes. You shall not covet your neighbor's House, wife, male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, anything. Now, now again, social media does not help us here, right? Because you went to that fancy restaurant last night and you posted on Instagram your appetizer, which was on fire, and everyone's like, must be nice to go to restaurants that set the appetizers on fire. I don't get appetizers that are on fire and not consumed, burning bush, you know, appetizers. So the idea here is Instagram has this, has this insidious, it's like a greenhouse for coveting, envying, and being, is it not? So, so you look at something and you're like, your, your jaw tightens, you, you press on your case a little bit, you hear a little bit of cracking on the screen on your phone, and man, that is a snare to you being thankful. And so, you know what I've done? I've chosen to say, peace out to social media, period. I just don't mess with it. And I don't care, you, you need to use it for God's glory and advance. No, it's not good for me. No, it's not good for me. And so I, my life is way better without it. And maybe yours would be too. Maybe. And so he, here's a gut check. When you go on your Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you start getting upset looking at what other people post, think to yourself, is this really serving me well? Is this, is this cultivating thankfulness and gratitude in me? 
Or is it doing the opposite? And friends, if you will diagnose your heart correctly when you're looking at social media, maybe you'll see, maybe this isn't so good for me. Maybe I don't need this. Maybe, maybe I could fast for like a month and see if my life is better after 30 days without it. I challenge you. All right, we got to move on. Number three. So we've already looked at greed. We've already looked at envy, jealousy, and covetousness because those are so closely related they could be number two. Number three, unforgiveness. Now, now to forgive literally means to release someone from a debt. And so when someone wrongs you, and, and they don't even have to be in your presence. You could have read something they put on, on social media, and you're just like, how dare they? And now you're offended, and they owe you for something they posted. This, is, this happens all the time. And so if you are, listen to me, if you are holding people in debt, and you will not release them, a.k.a. forgive them, you cannot be thankful because they owe me. Friends, listen to me. This is, this is so insidious if you're a Christian. Because how could you be forgiven an infinite sin debt that you owe to God, and then you hold minor debts with people whom you are just like? You sin against other people and offend other people the way they sin against you and you offend them. And you have offended God far more than anyone could ever have offended you. And if you will not release people from the small in comparison debts that they owe you, the question you have to ask, and this is pastorally speaking here, am I genuinely forgiven? Do I really know the forgiveness of God if I can't forgive someone else? You should ask that question. And if you're holding people in debt, it will be a snare for you to rejoice and have a thankful to overflowing heart. Number four, entitlement. I have a right to. You owe me. And this gets directed right to God. Right to God. Julie Lowe is a biblical counselor, also an author. She wrote a little article called Instilling Gratitude in Your Family. I just want to post or uh, read a little bit of this article here. You ready? Discontentment is easily triggered in us because we have an underlying sense of entitlement. We believe that we are inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. I deserve that new electronic device or that vacation or peace and quiet when I come home after working all day. Any guys want to say amen to that? I deserve peace and quiet in this house. Shut up. Don't worry. It, the, the mood will lighten as the sermon goes on, okay? Relax. Entitlement justifies whatever self-focused response pours out of my mouth or actions. Entitlement desi desires quickly, be I'm sorry, entitled desires quickly become demands that excuse putting myself first and the needs of others last, if at all. We just finished Philippians not that long ago. You remember chapter 2. Consider others' needs more important than your own. I have an illustration of this. 
we, we, you know, we have a four-month-old puppy, and the puppy likes to get up in the middle of the night and either want out or, or make a terrible mess, bathroomly speaking, in the house, right? And so I'm trying to sleep, and I deserve sleep, and I need sleep, and if I don't get sleep, tomorrow's not going to go well. And so you let the dog out, and then scratching at the door, and you're just... And you feel entitled to a good night's sleep. I deserve this. How dare you wake me? And then as soon as the dog, you know, gets in and gets settled, you hear crying from the baby's room. And you just want to tear what little hair you have out. At least I do. Right? And, and, you, and I feel entitled to sleep. How many of you feel entitled to sleep? Come on. Yeah. Right? And so, so we just get angry in the middle of the night, and who should we direct that anger at? Should I kick the dog? Should I throw the baby? No. No. You see, what God's doing, and, and this is the, the thought that I have, God is just crushing my selfishness, and this is a good thing. I need to put others' needs, even dogs, before my own sometimes. That's a good thing for my selfishness to be smacked around a little bit. Does your selfishness need smacked around a little? I see wide eyes and like kind of, yes, yes it does. You, it does. Yours does, mine does. All right, let's finish this quote because we're not going to be able to finish this message. These things, no matter how much I desire them, are not innate human rights but wants that have risen to the level of necessity in our hearts and minds. In contrast, Scripture tells us that our goal is not to look for what we deserve, but to be poured out as an offering to others. There's that text I just mentioned, Philippians 2.17. We are to walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, Ephesians 5.2. You see, the Christian life is of pouring out. You get to die, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, Romans 12. You get to die in response to the one who died for you. And paradoxically, Jesus says, he who loses his life will what? Find it. You find life when you stop greedily, selfishly, entitledly grabbing it. Rather, and this is counterintuitive, but this is how the kingdom of God works. When you, when you give life away and sacrifice, then you find life. And this is what Jesus did. He gave up his life. I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Now, this is interesting. At the end of Romans chapter 11, Paul talks about entitlement, but it's kind of hidden if you don't look for it. Watch this. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. Now, that verse 33 is like my go-to. God, you, what you're doing right now makes no sense to me. Inscrutable. And so I need to trust that you know what you're doing with my life. Anyone know what I'm talking about? If you're sovereign and you're in control and this is happening, 
This is inscrutable. This is crazy to me. For who has known the mind of the Lord? In other words, who can figure out what God is up to in your life and in the lives of those around you and in the world at large? Ready? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? There it is. God, you owe me repaid. God, I've, I've served you, and I've given my life to you, and I've given my money to your purposes, and I've given my time to ministry, and I've been discipling, and I've been sacrificing, and you owe me, God. Who has given something to God that God owes them? Friends, you need to realize, I need to realize, the very breath in your lungs is God's breath. The very blood that's pumping through your veins is God's blood. The very energy that's making your heart beat right now as you're listening to me is God's energy. Who owes who? Who owes who? We owe him everything. And this is what verse 36 says. For from him and through him and back to him are what? all things to him be glory forever amen you see this is hard but this is good for you and me it's good for us to know who we are and who god is and you cannot have a thankful heart if you feel like everyone owes you and god owes you you cannot be thankful entitlement is a massive snare to thankfulness. Number five, last one, not having a gospel perspective on life. Not having a gospel perspective on life will be a snare to thankfulness. Let's look at Colossians 3, 15 to 17 very quickly. This is an admonition after the gospel has been clearly laid out and the supremacy of Jesus has been clearly declared in the letter to the Colossian church. And so here, the, the, the commands are coming and, and the admonitions are coming and the exhortations are coming. And so we're exhorted here as Christians already belonging to Jesus to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So, so God's peace is to be reigning, ruling, controlling the animating force in your heart, the inner you. Now, now, now that begs a question. Is your heart primarily defined by the peace of God? Or does it more look like the raging sea in a hurricane? You, you self-diagnose. But we are to be having the peace of God ruling our hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Now, now this is the, the peace that is in the body of Christ and will be realized one day, even if now we fight and devour one another. The peace is coming. Look at this. And be, say it, thankful. thankful. How? We let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Now, that, that is the gospel right there. What is the word of Christ? It's the good news about Jesus. It's the news about his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ruling and reigning at the right hand of God right now, and his coming back to take over. This is the word of Christ. And so we're to have it dwell in us richly. Listen, not lower classly, not middle classly, richly. 
So how is your gospel socioeconomic status? Is it dwelling in you richly? Or are you impoverished? This matters. This matters. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And if it's dwelling in you richly, what's going to happen? You're going to be teaching and admonishing one another. And that gospelness inside of you is going to give you wisdom in how to do that. How to admonish and how to uh, uh, exhort one another and teach one another. Singing psalms, that's the book of psalms, hymns, that is uh, songs that are gospel-centered, and spiritual songs. Okay, so these are songs that center in the gospel, including the book of psalms. How are we to do that to one another? With thankfulness. You see, a thankful heart, friends, is a singing heart. And notice that it's heart. So where are we doing this? In our inner being. This is an inner being soul type of thing. This is you have a song in your heart that is singing and do you. If the gospel is not the controlling factor in the center of your being, you will not be thankful. It's a snare. And so if you have a gospel center, man, I am okay because of Jesus in my place. I'm all right. I'm going to be okay for eternity. No matter what happens to me in this life, I am safe. No one can snatch me out of Jesus' hands. For the Father who has given me to Jesus is greater than all. This is the word of Christ dwelling in you richly. And if that's the case, if you have that kind of security, no matter what comes into your life, you have a song playing on the inside. Now, now you know something of this, don't you? You know, you've tasted this at least once or twice. That there's just this joy that wells up from the inside, and it's a song playing of thankfulness to God. And whatever you do, verse 17, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Look at this. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. So there's this anything we do, whether in word and speaking, Remember, teaching, admonishing, or if we're doing deeds of goodness, neighborly love acts, whatever we're doing, we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, for his sake, for his glory, unto him. And all the while, we are, we are doing this with a thankful heart. Just in general, thanking the universe, thanking the lucky stars, th- no, to God, landing in the person of God, and specifically in the person of Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God the Father through Him, Jesus. Remember, for God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. It's the Father who sent the Son to complete the mission of redeeming a people, and then the Holy Spirit comes by the sending of Jesus to make alive all those whom are God the Father's given to Jesus. And so we give thanks through Jesus. All right, let's finish up with number three. God-centered reasons for thankfulness. God-centered reasons for thankfulness. And just one more time, if you forgot, the five snares to thankfulness were greed. Number two, envy, jealousy, or covetousness. Number three, unforgiveness. Number four, entitlement. And number five, not having a gospel perspective on life. Now, we're moving on to point three, the last point, 
a God-centered reason for thankfulness. A God-centered reason for thankfulness. And we're going to look at three things under this point. We're going to be done, okay? Everything we have is a gift. Everything we have is a gift. Look at this. To the Corinthian church, Paul says in chapter 4, verse 7, Hey, Corinthians, by extension, Eternal City Church, what do you have that you did not receive? Nothing. Okay, if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Now, friends, this goes to even what you've worked so hard to earn. Your degree, your possessions, your house, your vehicle. You know, if, let's say you are brilliant. Where'd you get that? Let's say you have a work ethic that can't be compared to anyone else. Where'd you get that? Let's say you have amazing energy, no espresso, no Red Bull could touch. Where'd you get that? Let's say you have ambition that you look at others and you're like, lazy, 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 lazy. Where'd you get that ambition? Let's say that you have good looks and you're attractive. Where'd you get that? Let's say you have a super high paying job. Where'd you get that? And then we could go on and on and on. Okay? We could go on and on and on. Everything comes from God, friends. Even the breath in our lungs. Here's another passage, James 1, 17. Every good and perfect gift is from where? Is from where? Above. Above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of change. So number one, it would be really helpful for you to remember that everything you have, this is why we sing songs like, it's your breath in our lungs. So what's the response to that? We pour out our praise. It would be really helpful for you, listen, to realize that everything you have from the clothes on your body to the health you have to be here tonight is from God. All of it. This will cause a welling up, a filling up of thankfulness in you, which is very positive. If you can tell the bodily sensation of being thankful versus the body, bodily sensation of being envious, jealous, and covetous, you would want to be thankful. You would want to be thankful. So the first reason for having a God-centered uh, reason for thankfulness is that everything we have is a gift. Everything we have is a gift. Number two. God made everything good for us and for us to be thankful for. Let me say that again. God made everything good for us and for us to be thankful for. Let's look at 1 Timothy 4, 4 to 5. Everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy, which means set apart, sanctified, special by the word of God and prayer. Now, in context, it's talking specifically about marriage and foods. Okay? Marriage and foods. We are, we are not to reject these good gifts of God. But look at verse 4 there. That's in everything. Not just food and marriage. Everything created by God is good. Good. When used in its proper boundaries, 
when not abused, when not misused, when used the way God gave it to you as a gift to be used, it's good. God creates everything for good. And look, it's good for you. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with, see, there's the key. How many of us can plow through breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack time, beer number three, etc., and not even think about thanking God? How many of us can drive through the Starbucks, yeah, I'll have one of them $7, and I'll have one of them $5 donuts, and then I'll, right, and then we just drive away not even imagining that God had anything to do with that. And God is screaming at you, I made the coffee tree. I gave the inventiveness to pour hot water over it when it's, when it's roasted, crushed. That's all me. Don't you see? And God is just screaming at you all throughout the day, I am here in everything, and all of this goodness is meant to do something to you. What is that something? To make you thankful. To, to fill you up with gratitude, which can then spill out onto God, and it's called thanksgiving. Everything is good and made by God for you to be thankful for. And friends, this is an easy, underhanded softball pitch for you. you. What you should do and what you can do as an exercise is just take five to 10 minutes a day, maybe five, because I know you're busy, okay? Five minutes of your day and just imagine all of the things that God has given you as a gift and then do it the next day. And then do it the next. And you can literally train your brain to search for things to be thankful for. And trust me, they abound. But see, what we like to do because of our indwelling sin, and what we like to do because of Satan, is we like to look at everything we don't have and be envious, covetousness, and be greedy about. And so it, we, it's hard for us to be thankful for what we have because we can't not think about all the things we don't have. Come on, I know, I know that's you. It's me, and I'm like you. This is hard. But there are ways that we can be thankful and have a thankful, full heart. Number three, last one. Everything in your life is purposeful and meant to accomplish God's purpose in you. Everything in your life is purposeful and meant to accomplish God's purpose in you. Now, for me, this, this is the key when bad things happen, when circumstances aren't in my favor, when I don't like what's happening. I remember, by grace, that everything in my life, even this, give thanks in all circumstances, in everything, even this is meant to accomplish God's purpose. All right, so we're going to look at um, three texts here very quickly, and we're done. Ephesians 1.11. In him, and the him in context is Jesus Christ, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Hey, this is new heavens, new earth, favor with God, salvation, the love of God. We have this inheritance. Having been predestined, that means predetermined destiny, according to the purpose of him who works 
all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, now this is just a brief verse, but the, the profoundness of what's being said there has impact for your daily living. So what this is saying is that God is involved in everything. Look at it. Him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Everything in your life, everything that's going on is going according to his purposes. Listen, and if you are his, you can rejoice in that. You can rejoice and say, you know what? I don't like this, but God's purposes are being accomplished. And this will do something amazing eventually. Oh God, help me to trust you. Because God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. And remember the Psalms earlier. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. So not only is he predestining all things for the purpose of his accomplishments, but he is good. He is both. He's not just sovereign. He is good. And his steadfast love endures forever for you. And that means that even the bad things are connected to that steadfast love and goodness. Because we don't pull God's attributes apart. They're all connected. They come as a whole or they don't come at all. And so his goodness and his steadfastness is connected to whatever is happening in your life. As my friend likes to say it, nothing comes into your life without it first passing through the desk of God. Approved. This is a famous text. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it. We could spend a, a month or two series just on this. So I'm not going to explain it in great detail, but this is helpful. We know that for those who love God, Christians, all things work together for good. Notice that all things. So whatever happens, friends, it's for your good. God is going to work it for your good, whatever it is. That's the all things. For those who are called according to his purpose. So God calls people to his purpose. He does this through the gospel. And verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, that foreknew there means that he knows you relationally and lovingly chooses you beforehand. We could say it simply, before you would choose him, he lovingly knows you intimately and chooses you. And this is why uh, the biblical text can say, we love him because he first loved us. Jesus says to the disciples, you didn't choose me. Finish it. I chose you. God foreknows his people, Ephesians 1 says, before the foundation of the world. He chooses to know you intimately, lovingly, and have a relationship with you before he creates you. That's amazing, but that's what the Bible teaches. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined, predetermined destiny. What's the predetermined destiny? For those whom he foreknew, it's to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's the ultimate good. His quality and his character, his joy and his blessedness, that's coming for you and I who are foreknown by God. 
in order that, so this will accomplish something, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That firstborn there means inheritor. It means the one to whom the inheritance goes, to whom the honor goes, to whom the glory goes. He is the firstborn. He inherits a kingdom and a brotherhood, if you will. And we are the brothers and sisters of Jesus. The firstborn among many brothers. He's the first. And those whom he predestined. So we got foreknown, predestined, now called. Called literally means through the gospel call, someone invites you into the feast of God's eternal glory, into the forgiveness that God offers through Jesus Christ. And by some means, whether reading it or hearing it or listening to it in a song, you are called. And God says, now is the time. And it's effectual. And you trust yourself unto Jesus. And you are saved. And you can't resist it. When the time is right, you are called through the gospel call. And those whom he called, he justified. Justified means declares not guilty, even though you're guilty. So, so you are declared by God, you are not guilty in my sight. Though every bone in your body says, I am guilty. God says, you are not guilty. Why? Because the not guiltiness of Jesus gets put on you. And it's credited to you. Now, interestingly, in between called and justified, there's this thing that happens called faith, and it's just totally out of the picture because your response to being called is to have faith, but God just skips over that in this text. It goes right from called to justified, and you do believe, but this is all of God. When you're called, you believe, and you're justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. That means you will make it all the way to glorification. New heavens, new earth, new body, curse removed, never to sin again. Death, pain, crying, suffering, depression, gone. The old order of things has passed away. And so there's this before the world began, predestining of you all the way to new heavens and new earth, God's got you in his grip and you can't release yourself from that grip. No one can snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says. Not Satan, not even you. You're not strong enough to pry God's fingers off of you. And that's good news. Because for some strange reason, we keep trying to pry God's fingers off of us. Get off of me, God. Right? Don't we sing it, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, and God's like, I got you, you're not getting away. I know you want to leave, I know you would run if I let go, I'm not letting go. And we should be thankful for that. We should be thankful for that. And this last verse is the gospel, it's the good news, as plain as it could be, for our sake, for our sake, for us. Him, that Him is God the Father. For our sake, I'm sorry, that's Jesus. The Him is Jesus. For our sake, He, God the Father, made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. That's the image of Jesus on the cross receiving your sin. It's as if Jesus sinned your whole life. That's what the cross was about. So that this would result... In him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. We get treated as if we lived the life of Jesus. 
fulfilling the law, loving God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving neighbor as self. And friends, this is the ultimate reason to be thankful. And so let let me remind you, number three was everything in your life is purposeful. Remember, he works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Predestined according to the will of him who works all things, everything, according to the counsel of his will, his purposes. And this, even this, this putting on Jesus your sin and putting on you Jesus' righteousness, it's for your sake. It's for you. Look, for our sake. This could only invoke in us one response, thankfulness and worship. And so for this alone, friends, we should be the most thankful people on the planet. That we will not face God's punishment, but rather Jesus took all that punishment and absorbed it in our place on the cross. There is none left for you and I who are Christians. And so friends, maybe for some of you tonight, you need that wrath-absorbing work of Jesus on the cross because you don't know anything of that yet. And I would venture... A guess that there are several of you in here who don't know Jesus savingly. You've not entrusted yourself fully to Jesus to be forgiven and freed from your sin. Galatians 5.1 says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do you know the freedom of God? The freedom of no condemnation. The freedom and the power to walk in His will which is only for good. It results only in good for you. Ultimate and eternal good. At Eternal City Church, we celebrate communion every single week. We do that because we believe that the gospel is the center of the entire scriptures. From Genesis to Revelation, it's one big story of the work of God in saving a people for himself. Starting in Genesis 3.15, a promise to Satan and the snake, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And the crushing of Satan's head happened at the cross. And one day, sin and death itself will be thrown into the lake of fire along with Satan and all of his children. And friends, you have the opportunity tonight to believe on Jesus, to receive him, to believe in his name, and you too can become the children of God, free from condemnation, free to walk in a life that is abundant free from guilt and shame. And so we're going to celebrate communion and remember what Jesus has done for us. There is nothing saving about communion. There is nothing uh, supernatural about communion. It is a remembrance of Jesus. It cannot save you. It cannot spiritually help you to escape God's punishment. Only Jesus can accomplish that. We take communion to worship and to remember what Jesus has done and to commune with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So if you would like to take communion tonight as a response to your trusting in Jesus, we would invite you to do so. If you are a Christian tonight and you are in right standing with God, you can take communion with us tonight and celebrate and be thankful for what Jesus has done for you on the cross making the way straight to God the Father, to his favor.